and welcome to Delving Into Draft. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me as always is... Steve! Now this is episode 6. Now let's jump straight into the news and starting with the pro play news. Grand Prix Taipei was last weekend, that's in Taiwan, and there was a sealed and draft return to Ravnica. And uh, Makihitu Mihara, who was also the world champion in 2006, having to take that down. So congratulations to him. Congratulations buddy! Uh, Grand Prix San Antonio was also on the same weekend, and that was standard format, and the winner of that was Tyler Lytle, who who is playing BR Agro, that's uh, Black Red Agro, although this was the funny <laughs> thing I saw on the stream, is the way they phrased it was, capital B, capital R, capital A, GGRO. So you're thinking, what is this A? Is it Black Red Artifact Go Go Grow? I mean, this is what I was looking at, but all I saw was bra. And I'm just like, because I mean, there was no space between the R and the A, and there was no dash between the B and the R, so it was just, everybody's playing Bragro. <laughs> At least three people were playing Bragro. Um, apparently they decided Conley Woods was playing four-color stuff. Not four-color good stuff, just four-color stuff. Hmm. Which was a really charming way to talk about somebody who hit the top eight. But anyways. Yeah. Um, continuing on with Grand Prix, next weekend, this is December the 1st and 2nd, uh, Lisbon is your next Grand Prix, which is in Portugal, and that is also going to be a sealed slash draft of Return to Ravnica. Uh, finally, um, there's not pro play news, but um, the Return to Ravnica The Secretist is the first of three Return to Ravnica ebook novellas, I believe is what they're going for. Um, mm-hmm. They announced this a while ago, and the first one has been released, I believe, today. Um, you can get it for two bucks from barnesandnoble.com. You should be able to get it from amazon.com, but it's apparently not available. I have no idea what it's like about getting it in other countries, but saying I don't have an e-book reader, I didn't really care to find out. So, Have you ever read any of this sort of uh, magic-based fiction? No. A friend of mine gave me the Lorewind book out of the Fat Pack, I believe, but I never did read it because yeah. that was during my off period of magic and I'm not quite sure why I ended up with it in all honesty but yeah I ended up with an Odyssey book at one point and it was kind of uh, it was based around Kamal and stuff and I kind of ended up having to put it down because <laughs> it basically read like a match report oh. except it kind of described oh, and then he summoned a bear in the arena and the bear went across the arena and then he defended himself with this spell and it's like ah. This is rubbish. So he was really turning a game of magic into a story. A yeah. story. Which I suppose is what the aim is. I mean, you can't, I mean, I suppose you can't complain about it. It does what it says in the tin. But, eh. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> not really how you want your stories to be written, all honestly. Mm, yeah. I'd love to see if, like, something like Battlefield or um, Call of Duty had something along those lines. Like, he started shooting at the bad guys, and he had to reload his clip, and then he continued shooting the bad guys, and got a headshot, and then he reloaded his clip. I just have reloaded this clip as every second sentence or something like that. Yeah. I mean, okay. Well, um, you've not really turned me on to the idea. But uh, yes, Return to Ravnica the Secretist, it's, it's two bucks. Um, I don't know what will be in other currencies. And it's a novella, so it's a quick read. And if you don't like it, you don't need to buy another one. So there yep. you go. That. Right. Um, jumping into our first regular feature, pop quiz time. Woo! So, Steve, can yes. you name the Power Nine? Do you know what the Power Nine are? Is potentially the first question. Yeah, I know. I know what the Power Nine are, Craig. The nine most powerful cars of magic, back from the days of lore when they had the old border are, are, frame. Whether they're the most powerful cards of magic is debatable, but they're definitely the most valuable cards of magic. 
Yes, I mean, I'm pretty sure $2,000 is potentially a going price for any one of these cards. Yeah, the the Black Lotus enemy, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, well, there you go. There's there's number one. You've named Black Lotus. Yep. And then you've got the other ones are the Moxes, I believe. Can you remember what all the Moxes are? Um, You've got a Pearl, a Sapphire, a Jet. Yes. A uh, diamond and... Nope. There is no... Well, there is a Mox Oh, diamond. of course, Mox Diamond's a different set, isn't it? I think it's a different set. So... You haven't named the red and the green one. Uh, Ruby and Emerald, by any okay. chance? Yes. And now you're <laughs> down to three more spells. Okay, so then you're looking at... There's the one which... It's a blue one. What's it called again? You draw three cards of forcing your opponent to draw. Because Ancestral Recall. That is Ancestral Recall. Uh, There's a... Take an extra turn one. That's called Time Walk. Time you walk. get an extra turn for uh, measly two mana. And I, I'm struggling for the last one, Craig. Would it help if I told you the name? Yes. Time Twister. Do you know what it does? No. Uh, each player shuffles his or her hand and graveyard into his or her library, then draws seven cards. <laughs> so, yeah, these are definitely the most... Rule breaking cards? Yeah. Like for the Moxes, I mean, for example, you pay, you play them for free and you get mana. Yeah. I mean, you've got to consider that when these were printed, the probably, probably weren't even expecting to print a second run of cards. I mean, I think when Magic <laughs> came out, they didn't expect people to buy tons of boosters. They expected people to buy a few boosters. Yeah. And, and they, there was no sort of spoiler or anything like that. Nobody knew what, what like the car, nobody knew what all the cards were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, spoilers were, came, I think, what set would have been, it was quite into it as well. It was probably like 4th edition that started actually printing card lists. Yeah. Or maybe before that. But it was, there was a, a, a very definite design thing because they didn't want to print card lists so that you didn't know what was in the set. Indeed. So anyway, there, there is a reason I'm bringing this up rather than just to test your knowledge because there is one more piece of news which I deliberately put until after this pop quiz. Ooh. Magic Online news. Uh, there's going to be cubes returning to Magic Online for the Woo-hoo! holiday season. Um, there's going to be cubes going to be up between the 19th of December 2012 and January the 2nd, 2013, which is far in the future, of course. Um, <laughs> however, for the first time ever, the Power Nine are coming to Magic Online. Yeah, it'll be interesting anyway. Um, only as a cube, so nobody's actually going to get them. Um, there is a bit of a statement where they basically go, we really want to bring the Power 9 to Magic Online, but we haven't worked out how to. However, here's the cube for now. And they haven't just basically bunged the nine cards in and said, here's the cube all over again. They have put in other very powerful cards alongside. So the Library of Alexandria, as another example, this is in the cube. Yeah, because they've had to balance it out for the fact that these really powerful cards are in there. Yeah. Um, so this isn't completely busted. Indeed. <laughs> right, so the different formats are going to be able to play the new Holiday 2012 draft queue, as they're calling it. So you're going to be able to either do single elimination or Swiss. Single elimination, if you come first or second, you will get a booster pack or two. Uh, if you're doing a Swiss, there's no chance of getting a booster pack, but the new cube tickets, you'll get them no matter where you place, pretty much. So... I believe it's 10 cube tickets and two event tickets to play in one of these cubes nowadays. Um, Now, depending on when you play, I think there's a cutoff. If you play early on, you're going to win Ursa Block 
boosters. Right. And if you play later on, you're going to get Mercadian Mask block boosters. And then there's also going to be draft queues for Ursa block and Masks blocks, if you're into those. Ah, right. Yeah, I remember this from before. I can't remember what set was we did last. Um, I've still got boosters kicking about from that. Yeah, so this time it's going to be Ursa and Masks, so... Cool. There you go. Cool. Right. That is the news done this time. No more tricks. Um, so we shall move into our personal topics. Would you like to start or shall I? Uh, yeah, I suppose I could start this week, Craig. I'm quite happy to, to kick off, kick us off. Cool. Uh, what I was going to talk about this week was basically just how you shuffle your deck and why you shuffle your deck. Just maybe talk about it for a bit. So to my mind, there's two main reasons why you shuffle your deck. And uh, the first that springs to mind is you don't want to get mana flooded or mana screwed during the game. So basically you want your deck to be randomised so that you have a fun game, basically. Because there's no fun getting mana screwed or uh, getting mana flooded. I mean, there's a lot of times when you're playing, especially this environment we play in Craig, sort of Friday Night Magic, where uh, somebody will get mana flooded or screwed. and uh, Yeah, it's part of the game. Yeah, I mean, it happens, but it happens more often to some people than others, and most of the time I think it comes down to shuffling. And it's maybe not so bad on your first match, but uh, like in your get to second match, I'll be sitting shuffling my deck, and my opponent will maybe cut their deck a few times, well, they'll shuffle it, like, uh, I'll come into the different shuffles in a minute, but it's essentially just a few cuts they make, and maybe a pile shuffle, and then hand it for for the next game, you're thinking, well, you've actually not shuffled that particularly well, considering you had all your land laid out in the last game, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm very paranoid about shuffling because at the end of the game, I you know I scoop all my creatures and stuff up, I scoop all my land up, and then all of my land is just in one big clump, and you really need to shuffle to get rid of it. Yeah, your instincts are all in your graveyard on top of each other, with a few creatures in between. Yeah. yeah. And another reason for shuffling your deck is because it's in the rules. Indeed. And you have to shuffle your deck. I mean, that's pretty simple, really. And the reason, obviously, for shuffling is, if, if you didn't do it, it would be unfair. Because people could just organise their deck however they like. Yeah, I got a perfect draws, effectively. Yeah, and it wouldn't be fair or fun. First point was to establish that shuffling your deck is good. <laughs> it, will, it, will, it will make your games better. <laughs> yeah? Yes. How do you shuffle your deck, Craig? Like, what, what uh, methods do you use? Um, I don't know the terms. Mm. Um, well, I, I know pile shuffling, where basically you create little piles of cards. So, like, I'll take a card off the top and go pile one, pile two, pile three, pile one, pile two, pile three. That's, that's yeah. pile shuffling, right? Um, then there's just generally where you take some cards and just sort, sort of slot them back into your yeah. deck. Like, it's a lot easier when it's sleeved. And then the one I've started doing is, I think it's called the riffle shuffle, where you basically split your deck into and you riffle them into each other. That's not a very good way of describing mm. it. It's yeah. hard to do this on radio. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. I'm doing the so, hand motion, so if you see what I'm doing with my hands. Uh... <laughs> so, uh, like the, 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 I think the most common truffle you see is where people hold the cards basically so that the sides of the cards are in the, in the palm of their hand, and they take a heap and put them on top of the heap, and basically, they're basically cutting the deck over and over. Yeah. And, and that's what you call an overhand shuffle. Okay. That's probably the, your most common shuffle you'll see people using. Well, you get Friday Night Magic anyway. And it's a bad shuffle, basically. The uh, first reason is that you are just cutting the deck over and over and over, and you're not 
randomising the cards that may be uh, side by side in the deck. And the second reason it's pretty much a bad shuffle is it's really easy to manipulate. So if you see, like, if you go to a competitive event and you see somebody only using an overhand shuffle, it's very easy for somebody using an overhand shuffle to keep the top card of the deck the same. And uh, so, like, and again, that shouldn't matter because the rules allow you to shuffle the deck after your opponent's done it. But sometimes it does matter because people are lazy and they don't always cut their opponent's deck. So if your opponent can manipulate the top card of his deck and then you choose, for whatever bizarre reason, not to cut it, that's in his advantage. There's another shuffle that's like that because it's really easy to manipulate. It's called a slop shuffle. Okay. Uh, see, I know these things, Craig. Not because I cheat at magic, but because I used to be really sad. I say I used to be really sad. I'm still pretty sad. But I used to be pretty sad, and uh, I used to do magic tricks with cards and things. You're, wait, you're playing a different type of magic? Yeah, like like uh, like illusion, Craig. Illusion. Like uh, just... I I don't I don't understand. Like you're you're playing at the Pro Tour? Or? <laughs> nah. Anyway, <laughs> the the, uh, the next shuffle that I was going to say was it's a thing called the 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 slop shuffle, or sometimes called the Hindu shuffle, and it's really unusual to see it in magic. But if you do see it, you should be really suspicious. And it's where you have the cards flat in your hand, the uh, the decks sitting as if it would be sitting on the table, but sitting in your hand. And they draw the bottom, like cut the deck in half almost, and draw the bottom part of the deck out and put it on top of the deck. Okay, yeah, Does that make sense? Yeah, actually, I think... I know that as the Asian shuffle, but maybe these are um, in accurate terms... Not very PC, but... Yeah, possibly. Well, I mean, like the main ones, Slop Shuffle, but I've heard it called Hindu Shuffle as well, but I don't know if that's maybe not politically correct name for it. Anyway, the the main reason it's shady is because, again, you can you, you manipulate the bottom card of the deck for that, and, and people do it really fast, and it makes a slapping noise, so like this. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a proper shuffle, but it really isn't. It's, it's even more easy to ma- manipulate than the overhand shuffle, and it manipulates the bottom card of your deck. And the important thing with this is that it opens up all different types of cheating because, I mean, I don't know if you've heard of um, players' lapping cards. You heard of this? No. It's where you where somebody will sitting at a table and obviously because you're sitting across the table from your opponent, you can't see what's going on underneath the table. Lapping a card is where a player will deliberately drop a card into his lap without his opponent knowing it. And then at some point in the game, find a way of retrieving that card in its hand. So if you can manipulate either the top or bottom card of your deck, and you know what it is, it's easier to do that. It's easier to cheat. You know? Right, okay. So, and what will tend to happen is if they've got a card in their lap, what they'll do is they'll perhaps, like, drop cards from their hand, accidentally, with those things. You know those things in my fingers just now? Accidentally? Yeah. Things I'm doing? Yeah, they, yeah. Air quotes. <laughs> yeah, air things. They'll accidentally drop some... Uh, cards in their lap, oh, sorry, and then scoop the whole lot up and they'll have an ideal hand. So, basically, I mean, I don't want to say that, that anybody using an overhand shuffle is cheating because everybody's going to be doing it. But I'm just saying that if you are using the overhand shuffle or if you're, for some reason, doing a slop shuffle, you're opening yourself up to accusation of cheating. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the next shuffles you're probably more familiar with, uh, you've got the... Mash shuffling, which is basically cut your deck in half and push them together. <laughs> but like you push them together so that the cards are mixed. 
Yeah, I think I, I do it, that. It, that's a lot easier with sleeves than without. Yeah, a lot easier with sleeves, but... And it does randomise it just as well as the riffle shuffle, but uh, the downside is that you're going to damage your sleeves eventually. Uh, I've seen some people do it unsleeved. And oh, you oh. Can, I mean, uh, there's there was one guy who does it at F&M, and... Uh, you then look at his cars at the end of like the three, four hours, and I'm just looking at them going, I don't have cars in that bad a quality, and you've done that in three to four hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And all the sides are just absolutely ruined. Mm-hmm. Like the the thing is, that's really relevant when uh, your when your prize for the night is one of the rares in the draft pool that it's just been mashed up by somebody mash shuffling without. Yeah. St- yeah. Uh, I'm actually really curious. Sorry to stop you, but I'm really curious how many of our listeners do rare drafting at the end, and how many um, how many don't. Because I'm curious how prevalent this is. Because we've got a very bad sort of viewpoint, saying we kind of go to one F and M. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am very curious. So if people can let us know whether they do rare drafting at the end of the night or not, I I, I would like to know. I want to yep. know if we're talking to the masses or we're talking to the minority, which include us. Sorry. I mean, I- I know that everybody in our, like all the places that draft in our area all do rare redrafts at the end. But I've definitely seen it done other, other ways on, on, on the old World Wide Web. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly Magic Online doesn't have it. No. But I'm, I'm just curious how prevalent it is of people's F&Ms. Hmm. Hmm. So the, uh, well, where, where did we get? Mash shuffling. Mash shuffling. Yeah, and then so what you touched on earlier, Craig, was uh, the pile shuffling, where you essentially lay out a certain number of piles of cards and you shuffle, you, you place the cards down one at a time in a pile, in each pile, I should say, and then scoop them all up and they're all randomised, right? No. <laughs> the uh, the obvious downside to pile shuffling is that you, while you are mixing it and you've got no idea where the cards are going, Again, it's open to abuse. If it's not done in odd piles, for example, you could actually be stacking your deck. Like, I'm not saying you've memorized the entire uh, contents of your deck, but I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be hard to split your deck into piles of land and spells and then pile shuffle them in such a way so, so that you got an even distribution of land. Yeah. You know, so that would be stacking your deck. So the the point I'm getting at, these are all the main shuffles you'll see, but none of them are perfect. So when it comes to deciding how you're going to shuffle your deck, it's best to use a mix of these. So maybe do a riffle shuffle, then a pile shuffle, then an overhand, and then a riffle shuffle, and then a pile shuffle. Because you've got time to do it. What's the exact time, Craig, for? You're allowed three minutes to sideboard, and sh- you've basically got three minutes from the end of a match before you need to present your deck to your opponent. Yeah. So you've got plenty of time to do a good shuffle. And then, of course, you've got the the, the other type of shuffling you can get, Craig, is a riffle shuffling, where it's kind of like what you see a lot in uh, poker games and things, where you split the deck in half and the cards get lifted up and dropped in such a way that they fall one on top of each other from each pile. Yeah. So they end up mixed together. The uh, I suppose the important thing with riffle shuffling is not to turn your cards upside down in the process. Right. <laughs> so that all your cards are facing the same way afterwards. Because it's possible to cut the deck and then shuff- riffle shuffle it so every second card is now pointing a different direction. And then 
<laughs> and I've done it many times myself, and you're like, oh, no. And it just makes you feel silly. So yeah. don't do that. And again, riffle shuffling can damage your cards if you don't do it right. And moving on uh, with that, that nice little link there, the things what, what you should not be doing, and damaging your cards is one of them. So while you're shuffling, you've got to be really careful not to damage your cards. This becomes really important when uh, you're dealing with your opponent's cards even more than your own cards. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's nothing worse than handing your cards to your opponent. I mean, it's maybe not so bad in a draft situation, but if you're playing any sort of tournament where a tournament deck could be worth anything from 50 quid to silly money, depending on whether you're playing standard or legacy. Yeah. You know, so you know it's just a case of a, a wee thing. Don't do a shuffle that can damage your opponent's cards. I've, actually, I think it's against the rules to shuffle your card, your opponent's cards in such a way that would damage them. So if you're not confident at riffle shuffling, and like a lot of people, when they're riffle shuffling, will uh, like really bend the cards back and let them slap down, and you'll hear hear this the flicking noise of <laughs> like this. Yeah. kind of noise and you just know those cards are getting bent and you know I think I'd be pretty upset if somebody did that to my cards and I think I'd be pretty upset if somebody did that even in a draft to cards especially when you had cards in my pool that I'd be interested in picking at the end you know yeah I think also you've got to be really careful that whatever shuffle you choose to use you're proficient at it enough that you're not going to be dropping cards all over the place so like I was once uh, playing a guy, and it was just a casual setting, but it was like like Friday Night Magic, so you have, there is a prize on offer, there is, and, and who wins is important to a certain degree. And uh, as he was shuffling the cards, because he took my deck and gave it a reshuffle, he dropped a card. And the one card he dropped was, I think it was like Spidery Grass okay. from Innistrad. Hmm. And it was like one card that was really relevant in the matchup. Because he was going to be, he was playing a deck full of flyers, and it's like the one card that might have caught him out, and he's like, oh, "I'm really sorry." And he felt bad about it, but you know, I'm not sure how that works in a competitive event. If you accidentally flip one of your opponent's cards, and you see what potentially his card is, or you could maybe even glean exactly what deck he's playing from the card you've seen. I would like to say, I'm just. Double checking. I believe that would be looking at extra cards. Hmm. Which would be gameless? Uh, which would be a warning. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm, by the way, if you're a judge, there, there, there is a app which you can get on Android and iPhone which has the entire rules inside it, which is what I'm very quickly looking at. So, yeah, looking at extra cards is just a warning and there is remedies. Yeah. So basically just, you know, be careful when you're shuffling, is what I'm trying to say. And another thing you'll see, and it happens more in casual settings, is a thing called mana weaving, where, I don't know, have you, have you heard of mana weaving, Craig? Is this where you make sure your mana is interspersed equally amongst yeah. your cards? Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a funny kind of thing, because it's not actually against the rules. It is. Mm, well, the, as you can, you can have, you can, you can, it would be against the rules to present your deck if it wasn't sufficiently randomized. Correct. But you can do what you liked it before you randomize it. Okay. Right? So, what you'll see is people doing this, because 
they don't want to put their, like, uh, you see it quite often, even at the end of a game, they'll pick up their deck and they'll pick up their land and they'll chuck their land in, in different places and then shuffle it. That's to a lesser extent Mana Weaving, but exactly what Mana Weaving is, is where you'd say make every third card a land. Yeah. So they sort their land out in one pile, sort their spells out into another pile, and then make every third card a land. Exactly. Now, if you were to present your deck like that, that would be illegal. Yes, that would be, again, apparently just a warning. Really? Yeah. Um, penalty, it also says the additional remedy is to shuffle the deck thoroughly, taking into account any parts of the deck ordered through gameplay. But, um, yeah, that was one of the things when we were doing, when I was doing deck checking at the PDQ, one of the things was, you know, just look, quickly look through the deck, and if you see it's all laid out very perfectly, then, yeah, that's an issue. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I would go as far as to say that's deliberate cheating. But... I mean, anything could be ramped up. Or obviously, if you if you if you've been caught doing it before, then it is more likely to be uh, stepped up to a game loss. But yeah, but the, the point I'm making is you you see this a lot in casual groups because people enjoy playing Magic and people don't enjoy getting mana screwed. Um, the solution to that is instead of shuffling their decks, is to organise their decks. Yeah, and in some groups. That's acceptable, you know. If you're in one of those groups, good for you. But uh, don't bring that to the tournament scene. Yeah, most most people won't accept that. And sure, you can do it before you randomise your deck, but then you have to randomise your deck to the right amount. You know, shuffle it as much as you can mm-hmm. afterwards. You know. But I mean, I think what where mana even come becomes uh, relevant is when it comes to shuffling your opponent's deck. Because you want to make sure that your opponent hasn't done this. So when you're looking at your opponent's card, well, you're not looking at your opponent's card, when you're shuffling your, when you get offered your opponent's deck, what do you do, Craig, normally? When I shuffle my opponent's deck? Yeah, I, he offers it to you. In Friday Night Magic, I tend to cut it a few times. I tend to cut it into about four or five different piles and reorganize the piles. Yeah. So if your opponent had, instead of randomizing his deck, say he made every third card a land, yeah. and then cut a few times himself. You know, like, did one or two overhand shuffles, mm-hmm. which is just cutting the deck. It doesn't rearrange the order of the deck. It just cuts it, puts yeah. one pile on top of the other, and then hands it to you, and then you cut it a couple of times. Again, not rearranging the order. It's just putting them in a different pipe, different piles on top of each other. Yep. His deck is still laid out as... You know, every third land, every third card is a land, apart from at the points where cuts have been made. You know, so he's still got a really good chance of not getting mana screwed, and that would be cheating, and you've basically let your opponent off with it by not shuffling his deck properly. Indeed. And like, often you'll see people, especially in friendly environments, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you're getting on with your opponent at a tournament, some people might even say, yep, uh, that's okay. Kind of like, so they get presented their decks in the middle of the game, uh, there you go, my friend. Here's your opportunity to shuffle my deck. And they just put their hand on top of it, tap the top of their deck, say, yep, that's fine, mate. And, uh, you know, it's, you're just opening yourself up to getting cheated out of games. I mean, I don't want to sound really cynical and, you know, like everybody's out to cheat, but some people are. And, ah, it's, there's a, I mean, I suppose you know, if you know your opponents, it's fine. If, you know, if you know they're not likely to be cheating, that's, it's a different story, but 
in any situation where you don't know your opponents, you've got to shuffle your deck or shuffle their deck, you know. I would suggest probably pile shuffling it at a competitive event. What do you think? Is that over the top? Pile shuffling's fine. I mean, I, I mean, one of the things, as I said before, you do have three minutes. Hmm. So if you pile shuffle quickly, that's cool. Um, yeah. One thing I noticed that, like, uh, the, the couple of PTQs have been to, a lot of people do pile shuffle your deck when you're playing against them, and what they're actually doing is counting your cards. Just, uh, so, so if they pile shuffle and they go one, two, three, as in their head as they're going, they're counting away, and then they go 39 cards. Hmm. Judge. And, uh, that comes back to being careful with your cards when you're shuffling, because if you look under the table and you're dropped one of your cards, that's, uh, that's a big mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, shuffling your opponent's cards. And, you know, basically just, you know, have a bit of respect for your opponent's cards as well. You know. People love their cards, Craig. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, my commander deck, it's got two or three cards which I love dearly because they're from the Volts cards. Yeah. And I get really paranoid when I hand them over. I even get paranoid when somebody wants to look at the card. You know, it's on the table. Uh-huh. And they don't know what Maze of If does, so they want to pick it up. I'm just like, you better pick it up very carefully, sunshine. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so especially when it comes to shuffling, and you've absolutely no idea what you're doing, and you're being a lot more aggressive than just picking up a card. Mm. You know. Yeah. And then you know, I suppose the last thing is just shuffling's an important part of the game, and it's worth while being good at it. So, like, not everybody can riffle shuffle. Or at least not everybody can riffle shuffle in a way which isn't likely to damage cards, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's worthwhile learning how to do it. And you don't have to do it in the Texas Hold'em style of, there's my card shuffle. You can just let gravity do the work and pick the cards up and let them drop one on top of each other without putting any pressure on the cards or bending the sleeves or anything. And they drop down and it does exactly the same thing and it doesn't damage them. Doesn't damage the sleeves. Mass, mass shuffling has a great tendency of damaging sleeves as well. So the riffle shuffling is better than mass shuffling from that point. And the way, the way I personally learned how, because I mean, I knew how to riffle shuffle before with normal playing cards, but I'd never tried it with magic cards. And uh, the way I kind of taught myself to riffle shuffle magic cards and sleeves, which is a little bit more tricky, than normal cards is I just got uh, old sleeves old sleeves are important it doesn't matter if they're all the same colour or anything just old, whatever old sleeves you've got lying about and you know the um, advertisement cards you yep. get in every booster and I just had old sleeves advertisement cards and whenever I wasn't doing anything that required my hands so if I was sitting watching telly or just mincing about the house like I do I do that quite a lot Craig I, I, I can quite believe that. <laughs> I'd sit and, and practice shuffling with these cards, and if the sleeves got damaged, it didn't matter because they were old. And if the cards got damaged, it didn't matter because they weren't real cards. And I feel it really did make me better at shuffling than what I was before. And I'm much less likely to damage my cards and my opponent's cards, and I'm much less likely to make a mistake when shuffling. And I feel that I'm much less likely to get mana screwed because my cards are sufficiently randomised. Yep. That's what I think. Cool. <laughs> that should be my cat catchphrase. That's what I think. 
<laughs> not not don't open boosters. I, I think I've taken that from you, haven't I? Yeah, you stole you 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 stole don't open boosters. That's because you were going to open a booster and I had to scream it at you. <laughs> no, no, I was like I'm rubbish at following my own rules. Ah, oh, dear. Yeah, I practice what I preach, honestly. I think it's a matter of do what I say, not as I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, um, I'll jump into my topic now. So I want to talk about um, how to organize a collection. I am a particular stickler for keeping a very well-organized collection. And I just want to talk about it in general, but like uh, Steve's just been talking about shuffling in general. So there's three things I think are important about organizing your collection. It's about knowing where things are, knowing what you've got, and keeping it safe. So when it, when it comes to knowing where things are, I mean... If you don't know where your magic cards are, good luck playing magic. I mean, unless you're drafting all the time, in which case you don't need to know where the cards are. They're inside the boosters. You'll get handed to you at the table. But, yeah, you need to know where your cards are. Um, probably most importantly, where your valuable cards are. Like, are you keeping them on a pile on your table? Are they all sorted into a particular box? Have you got them in binders? Do you know where your cards are? Were you looking at me there, Craig, when you said, are they in a big pile on your table? Was I looking at you there? I couldn't possibly comment if I was if I was talking about you or not. Um, there's no point of taking <laughs> some of some of my points uh, I'm about to make from your collection. Anyways, so yeah, knowing where your valuable cards are is pretty important because if you lose them, you'll probably be pretty sad, and if you lose them, you won't be able to make decent decks. But then we're a drafting podcast, so you don't actually need your cards after you've done your draft, do you? The other thing um, is knowing where your valuable decks are. The last thing you want to do is go, "Where's my commander deck?" which probably has a lot of your valuable cards in. And if you don't know where that is, you're again going to be pretty sad. Now, if it's always in your backpack, that's a pretty good thing. You may want to double check. It's still there every once in a while. But yeah, it's important to know where things are. And then finally, if you're just wanting to make yourself a deck, which I don't know what what, what you're doing because you, know, you should just be playing limited all the time, it's probably good to know where the commons and the uncommons are. Like if you've got stuff organized into sets or you've got all your greens somewhere and or your sorceries or something like that, it, it's just good to know, know where things are so you can play with them if you so desire. So that's sort of the first point. The second point is knowing what you've got. Now, this kind of depends on how much you care. Like, is it terribly important if you know how many rancors you happen to own and, you know, what art was on them and how many are in foil? If your name is Craig, then you do. And knowing (laughs) what you got is a bit of a matter of how much time you're willing to put into it. Now, personally... I have an exceptionally large spreadsheet which lists all of my cards from what set they're in, how many are foil, which cards are promo, and also where they're all stored. So at any given point, in about a minute, I can tell you how many of X card I've got, where they are, what sets they're from, and how many are foil. If your name is Steve, you have a big table. (laughs) Yes. But do, do you know what you've got? Yeah, I, I think I know what I've got. If you ask me, like, not maybe not like commons and uncommons, but if you ask me about rares, I could probably say, yeah, I've got that many of that. Like, I've got my rares all folded up. It's just the commons and uncommons that are kind of yeah piles of colour, maybe. I mean, so, you, pro- you, pro- you possibly don't need to know where all your grounded are. No. Unless you have a really big thing for making creatures lose flying, and that's it. But it is good to know what you've got rare and mythic-wise, I would say, like, do you have a place out of Thrag Tusk? Mm, no, I don't even have one Thrag Tusk. So that's probably an important thing to know, because if you're, if you're going into a trading situation, last thing you want to do is trade for your fifth something if you don't have more than one deck to put it in. 
Like re- recently, I wasn't paying attention to my wonderful spreadsheet, which lists every single card, and I traded for my fifth isolated chapel, hmm. which is nice, but I'm probably not going to need it because I don't keep many decks constructed at any one point. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you're trading for, but I suppose trading's a different subject. But True. I like having more than four, especially things like dual lands, because they're all, dual lands are basically uh, currency, aren't they? Yeah. For the most point. Yeah, I mean, it's also good to know what you got, because if you're trying to go away and build your um, Azorus control deck, but you don't actually have Supreme Verdicts or Detention Spheres or even a playset of Arrests if you really want... It's kind of the thing you sort of want to know before you start getting into it and like pulling out all your boxes and pulling out all your cards and going, where's my detention spheres? Where's my supreme verdicts? Why can I only find the old version of Asperia? You know? So. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think most people probably just have their rares in a folder and other cards in a box somewhere unspreadsheeted. I think. I think you maybe are the exception here, Craig. I, I think. If there's a spectrum, I'm probably very close to the end of the highly organized OCD. <laughs> there's another term I would use, but I'm trying to keep this a, a clean show so I won't swear. But anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely on one end, and I'm very aware of that. Yeah, I, I think if there is another end to that spectrum, I'm somewhere at the other end. I mean, apart from, well, no, actually, even a, a lot of my rares are just kicking about the house. But the rares which have been put in a binder are in there but any rares which subsequently have been taken out for decks have been taken out and are in random piles lying around you know and I think I've got a force of will kicking about on a shelf somewhere and it's in a sleeve <laughs> it's just kicking about on the shelf okay. amongst all the other cards you know it's like hmm well at least it's sleeved and uh, this nicely segues into my third point which is about keeping your cards safe because last thing you want to do is uh, find your your jewel lands which you've put carefully away after a while and realize they've all been eaten by rats or that <laughs> your you know six-year-old niece or something got it in her hands and then started you know madly um i want to get the correct shuffle here <laughs> slop shuffling would be appropriate i think well, slop, yeah quite possibly <laughs> slop, slop shuffling or ripple shuffling or mass shuffling and all all your edges of your very nice jewel lands have all been ruined can i just interject slightly craig yeah uh, before we became part of the wider magic community our little play group included my little brother and uh he used to play he had his own cards but his cards were all sticky because he used to like jam sandwiches and he used to have charm on his hands, because we're talking about when he was really wee. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we were introduced to terms like mana screw or mana flooded, we used to talk about my wee brother's deck and, uh, and his games, and we'd say, ah, he's got mana jam. <laughs> <laughs> the cards were actually physically sticking together. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Anyway. That's uh, <laughs> a slight aside. No, no, that's fine. Um, yeah. That's... I mean, yeah, that's, again, probably a one-spectrum. Like, if if you're playing your cards on Steve's sticky hand and mashing them together, they're not gonna, they're not really going to keep their value, if they're valuable to begin with, and nobody's probably going to want to play with you because you've got sticky hands. So don't do that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, there's different sort of levels, I guess, of care you can keep your cards in. Like, starting at the worst is probably in a shoebox, you you just shoved all your cards in there, not organized, not not even trying to fit them all in nicely. Just kind of 
jam them all in there, put the lid on, put them away in one corner and hope, you know, mold doesn't infect them or something like that, or it's too humid and the car's sort of... I've got a few of those. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I've, I got some cards. Uh, I'm not quite sure where they're from, but they weren't from my collection, and they feel very weird. And I think this is because they've kind of been put away for many, many years in somewhere which probably wasn't, you know, very dry. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you can also have your cards lying about. I guess that's sort of where you are on the spectrum. Yep, guilty. I mean, that's guilty not- as charged. I mean, that doesn't mean they're, you know, they're necessarily in any real risk, but as I say, if your, if your six-year-old niece comes along, I don't know whose six-year-old niece this is, I certainly don't have one, but, you know, your fictional six-year-old niece comes along and she starts taking a card, it may disappear, it may be eaten by the dog, she may try <laughs> to eat it, who knows, um, people who don't understand how important, uh, Mox Pearl, you know, may just, <laughs> yeah, I'll maybe fold her up that force of will, you never know. Yeah, um, <laughs> The next place you can probably keep them is in decks. Like, if they're in a deck, even if they are just lying in a pile, at least they're sort of somewhat safe. They're in some sort of cohesive clump. And that's probably a better place to keep it. I mean, they're hopefully flat. They're hopefully somewhere reasonably safe. But they're in a deck box, and that's ideal. Um, it's probably a good idea to know where the box is. But if they're in a deck box and they're in a deck, then that's a decent place to store them. Um, I have larger storage boxes, and this is where I keep the majority of my cards, because it's a bit hard to keep... Uh, several thousand card collection just in deck boxes. That's a lot of deck boxes. So I've got really big cardboard boxes, which is where I store all of mine and there. They will get reasonably flat. I don't have to worry about curled foils anymore because they're all sort of crammed in. Mm. Carefully crammed in. Like I'm not I'm not there's enough space for all the cards. Yeah. And that seems like a good place where 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 I think you should probably keep your if your collection's done in decks, they probably should be in boxes reasonably safe and reasonably well organized. Yeah, in my own defence, I think I have these boxes as well, but what tends to happen is I'll have a spate of organising, which for me is just sorting them into colours. I don't even sort them into set or anything. And they go in the boxes in their colours. But then we end up drafting so much, I end up with piles of cards just lying about that we've drafted, and then when I make decks, more get hauled out. And, you know, you end up with piles... Cards sliding around. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm I'm not completely guilt free. Like well, most most of my cards are in boxes, or deck boxes, or fat pack boxes. I I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven piles of magic cards in front of me. I'll mm. be honest. Um, they're they're very well organized, but they are just sitting at my desk, and they do kind of need to be put away. So, I mean, this is when it comes to organizing your collection, you're only going to get out as much as you put in. Yeah, I mean, I've got a question for you, Craig. See when you put your rares in a but you keep your rares in a binder yeah no no i don't go yeah like th- that's probably that, i mean the best the most safe thing is have them sleeved in binders but i don't actually do that though i've only got one binder and it's very small and that's actually where i keep all my traits ah. um no if um <laughs> this reminds me of when me and daniel were um doing our two-player drafts a couple of weeks ago when we pulled o- open jace yeah, and he was, and and he saw Jace, and he instantly went, "Oh, do you want to sleeve this?" And I went, "No." And he shuddered, and he went, "If I pull Jace, it'd be instantly sleeved." And I'm like, "Nah, we'll play with it." And then once I've done with it, I'll put it in my blue pile to get sorted and put in the box with all the rest of my blue Return to Ravnica cards. And he <laughs> shuddered at that. And I mean, that's fine for me. Again, I get out of it what I put in, and I put in it's in alphabetic order or by collector number, but it's in the same box. The Mythics and Rares go in with the commons and uncommons. Hmm. I see, I see. Because my point that I was going to make was, 
I suppose you'll see it across other people. Is with the when you right, okay? Here's here's another thing. If if you were sleeving up, you're not sleeving up, bindering up your your rears because I've got my rears and a binder. Yeah. Do you um double fill up the pockets? No. Um, each pocket has one card. Mm. See, I, I mean, I, I, what I do is I have the duplicates usually in behind the cards, and I, I was only mentioning it because. The uh, there was one incident we had where we had a nasty thief uh, oh. amongst us in our wee magic group. Oh, I seem to recall this. Was, this yeah. was from a while back, wasn't it? Yeah, and what he was doing was um, looking through people's binders and then taking the cards out from behind. You know, so you, like you, there was one guy had Tesseret, yeah. and at the time he was a valuable card. I think he still is a valuable card. Probably playing um, walkers keep their value. Yeah, and. Uh, I could, uh, uh, the new Phyrexia had just been released and this guy had three of them and so he lost two of them and never noticed because the guy took them from behind or took two of the left one mm-hmm. and he basically went through, through his whole folder and did this with every card of value and he did it to a couple other guys as well that same night went through and took every basically taking out cards of value but not getting noticed because of the way people had their folders set out with the rares stacked up. Yeah. You know? And it's just a wee point to note, you know, let's, I've got my cynical head on again. It's cynical Steve tonight. I, I was going to say, like, we, we obviously come from the roughest part of the world, you know. <laughs> obviously. Where, where, where we're thick with thieves and playing magic is a real dangerous business. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it is potentially good to, to shine a light on the, the worst parts, which can happen. Yeah. Just so you're aware, but I, I imagine in 99% of the time, you don't have to worry. No. I mean, it's definitely one to bear in mind if you're going to large tournaments where you don't know the people you're with. And quite often people have trade f- folders with them and stuff. You know? Yeah. And, th- and they want to look at your trades, you know. Most people are nice, but it only takes one to spoil your day. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I think I'm done. Ooh. Yeah, I was going to say, like, like, yeah, the, capping it off, the best place to keep them would be sleeved up. And, um, yeah, I, I, again, I'll repeat the line. You do get from it what you put into it. So, yeah, that, that's that's how to organize a collection. If you do, is up to you and the time you have allotted to you. So, <laughs> Right. Um, that took a wee while, but let's move on yeah. to a regular feature. Oh. Our, our perennial regular feature, the only regular feature which I think has been regular every week. I think, did we, did we miss it one week for a pop quiz? I don't think so. Or did we do it in, in, as well as a pop quiz? I think we did it as well. We are talking, of course, about Name That Card. So, dun, would you dun, like dun. to start or shall I start? I, I, can, I, can I, hold on, make a, make a point, Craig? I want some Name That Card tunes. You want to name that card tune? Yeah, no, we, we, we want a tune for this part that goes, dun dun dun, name that card. But we need to, if anybody wants to write some name that card tunes. <laughs> Alright, sorry. I, 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 no, 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 if anybody wants to provide the tunes or even the voice, because the worst <laughs> thing is just hearing every single week, name that card. Me speaking slightly deeper. You know, so. If, if somebody wants to give us that a jingle. Quite good, I quite like that. Oh, did he? Yeah, that was quite good. I think that would work. Hmm. <laughs> if anybody wants to give us uh, music uh, or, or, or a voice, we will credit you for it. And we will be very appreciative because <laughs> it, it means we don't have to do anything ourselves. So, 
Yeah. Sorry, Steve, were you wishing to start the round? Oh, I could start. Okay, I will find a card for you, Craig. I'm looking through my little book of cards. And it's Return to Ravnica, as always. Good, well, good, not good. as always. Well, I, I, I mean, I can go old school. I can go back to New Phyrexia if you really want a challenge. Hey, I have my uh, official Magic Encyclopedia, the uh, first edition. What here. the hell is that? Oh, it's super awesome. I got a bad feeling I won't be very good <laughs> if you did that. No. No, no, I think that, that's a... Uh, I don't think that'd be very fair. No. <laughs> okay, I shall pick a card from Return to Ravnica. Keep it keep it recent and spot we're drafting. Try to find a good one, though, Craig. What sort of card does Craig not play with? Hmm. I, I really <laughs> love Golgari, so... <laughs> I'm not at all an it player. Not mm. at all. Okay, Craig. I am gonna. Oh no, no, that's too easy. <laughs> they all they all seem really easy because I've been playing them a lot. Uh, How about you go for Mythic? Because the chance and and I don't know. No, no. I've got, I think I've got one. I think I've got one. Right. Okay. 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 okay I'm gonna start with the flavor text on this one. Okay, dokes. So, Gorgons crave beautiful things: gems, exquisite amulets. The alabaster corpses of the petrified... Treasured find. Oh, my God, you're... Ah, right, okay, bring it, Craig, bring it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Treasured find, I I was correct, wasn't I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I... I, uh, What's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Okay, I will also start with a flavour text. Okay. A mark of unity when you want one, a fierce guardian when you need one. Hmm, that sounds like Azorus. Or maybe not. I couldn't possibly comment. Hmm. Would you like the colour? No, 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 I, I, have, to, I have to get this. Yeah, you, you do. If you, if you can't get it with flavour text alone, then um, yeah. the point uh, goes to me. Uh, what do points mean? Nothing. <laughs> no, mean, no. Like, <laughs> no, they don't actually mean anything. Are you trying to steal uh, catchphrases here? No, not 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 at all. No, no. Point, points don't mean prizes. No. Um, ca- uh, carry on, yeah. So yeah, a, a mark of unity when you want one, a fierce guardian when you need one. I'm kind of thinking it's something small, like a, like maybe a one-one creature of some sort. But uh, mark of unity, so it's. Possibly a multicoloured card. Oh, 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 what's it? Oh. I, I'm happy to give you more information. No, I've not accepted it. I'm thinking Judges Familiar. It is not Judges Familiar. Oh, damn. So I shall give you a little help. Okay. It is colourless. <gasps> oh, of course it is. It will be a, a, a Kirun. Uh, no, Kieran's don't have flavour text, do they? Do they? Kieran's some, do um, have flavour text, I can tell you that right, much. So, a mark so, well, of sorry, so some, some of them do. Some Kieran's have flavour text. Well, I want to see Azorus, but... Uh, why do I think... Oh, Craig, this is rubbish. Do, do you want um, to guess Azorus? Oh, I'm tempted, but... It could be the, the other white one. It could be the, the green white one. Slasnian. Hold on. The, what does the Zorus one turn into? It turns into a, the Zorus one turns into a bird. Fierce guardian. The three three wolf is a bird fierce. 
No. Okay, I'm going to say Celestia Kieran. It is the Celestia Kieran. Hey, not so bad. <laughs> yeah, you, you got it. You got it after only two clues, but uh, not not quite as good as my. Yeah, four like points. What is wrong with you, Craig? Four points. Wouldn't want to emphasize that, but it is four-one in my uh, favor. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, we must have missed a week because that's no, no. Remember, we had a draw. We both couldn't remember. Was it last week? We both couldn't figure it out. Because I had Cripborn Horror, which I named but didn't actually pick up. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, I'm going to bite my tongue. I was like, <laughs> And I can't remember what I gave you. Uh, I if you want to know, listen to episode five of Delving to Draft. <laughs> Flexible, is it? <laughs> nice, huh? Just yeah, smooth. Yeah. Slip that right in there. Right. Um, <laughs> I think you're preaching to the choir, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless, you're, unless this is your first episode, in which case... Thank you for joining our listenership. Yay! Right, let's move on to our group topic, finally. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, if you haven't been listening for the last four weeks, we've been covering each of the guilds in Return to Ravnica. We've done four, which leaves us with Golgari. Yay, Golgari. So, basically, I'm just going to describe how I play Golgari, rather than the... I don't know if there's... Uh, the best way to play Golgari. I don't know if this is the best way to play it, but this is definitely the way I play it and I've had some success with it. So, there are other ways of doing this, but we'll maybe come to those and talk, touch them briefly, but basically my plan with Golgari when I play it is to ramp as fast as I can into big creatures, and then when they die, make bigger creatures. And usually my the so my end game plan revolves around rubbleback rhino, so and I try to set up set a rubbleback rhino with a bunch of tokens on it because rubbleback rhino is the hexproof uh, green three four. Yeah, and I, I I think you mean counters, not tokens, but. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, counters. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So uh, what's the flavor text in rubbleback rhino, Craig? The trouble started when a street urchin bet a goblin he could ride one until the clock on Chauveau's Tower struck 13. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm looking at the book, it's okay, I'm not... Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Okay, so so basically my, pl- my plan with Golgari is to get a rubbleback rhino into play with a bunch of tokens on it, and then... Counters. Counters. <laughs> get a bunch of counters on it, and uh, basically cheat the damage through somehow with either a trample effect or... With Rogue's Passage. I mean, Rogue's Passage with Rubbleback Rhino is the ideal situation because they can't block it and they can't target it, and there's only a few ways of killing it outside of those things. I'm guessing those are primarily Overload. Overload or Sacrifice effects. Or Rask, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose so. No, no, you don't need to target it. With well, you, yeah, you need to attack Rask, but, you know. Yeah. Although, to be honest, if you're Golgari, what are you not doing with Raska? Yeah, yeah, you fool. So, basically, the, the cards you're going to need for for Steve's Rubbleback Rhino plan, but I'm pretty sure it's it's uh, the Golgari plan that most people go on, is the, you need a way to ramp up your mana to start to accelerate into your endgame where you can start playing these expensive cards. So your main guy has got to be Axbane Guardian, because he allows you to make a lot of mana very quickly. He's a 0-3... Does he cost 3 mana, Craig? I think he does, doesn't he? Sorry, the... Axbane Guardian? Yes. Yeah, 3 mana for a 0-3, 
and he produces mana of any colour equal to the number of defenders you have. So even on his own, he's, he produces one mana uh, of any colour, which is worth remembering for later. The uh, But with more defenders, it becomes better. So that starts to give you a clue where the deck's going. The next cards you're looking to pick up are defenders to go with them. And there's two really the stand out with Golgari. One of them's Trestle Troll and the other one's Ogre Jailbreaker. And uh, the important thing to note with Jailbreaker is that although he's able to attack when you control a, a gate, he's still a defender. He doesn't lose defender, he just has the ability to attack. So he still counts for your guardian. And then you're wanting to look at getting key runes to ramp up your mana. And I would say you probably want Golgari Kirins, but I'm quite happy to take Selesnia Kirins and quite happy to take Rakdos Kirins, and sometimes even reasonably happy to take any Kirin, just accepting that I'm not going to be able to activate the ability very often. Unless you use Guardian. Unless you use Guardian, yeah. But the, the main reason for including the Kirin is as a way to ramp on turn 3, so you're hitting your turn Five mana, faster. And obviously the, the guild mage is a pretty standout guy, so if you want to pick up the guild mage, you'll be doing well. The, uh, the guild mage is, uh, is good, surprisingly. And then moving on to other cards you'd like to pick up. Uh, these are kind of lower on your scale of, to make, you know, cards that you want to make the deck work. So, uh, basically what you need is Without, without talking about specific cards to start with, it's kind of like your your curve needs to be heavy at the beginning because you've got to be able to deal with all the aggressive decks. So you've got to have a lot of two and three drops. So a lot of Axbane Guardians, a lot of Trestle Trolls, and whatever other guys you can get to fill those spaces, there's, there's a lot of guys to choose from. Yeah. And then you kind of miss out the middle part of your, your, um, your mana base partly because you're hoping to ramp right past the four and five drop spot, and partly because it's just made of key runes. And when I'm making this deck, I, I pretty much just have creatures, key runes, and removal sp- spells, which don't ask questions. You know, So I don't have a lot of combat tricks. In fact, I barely play any. I just play as many creatures as I can, so it's quite often 19, maybe even 20 creatures, three key runes, that's my deck. Because what you find is your guys get really big, and your opponent has to double block or block and use a spell to kill your guys so you're getting two for ones just by having big guys also you get to reuse and recycle your creatures with a scavenge mechanic so basically the guys you want to pick up as your kind of regular troops are scavenge guys so hopefully cheap scavenge guys so you're looking at the sluiceway scorpion and the who's the guy with swamp block sure sure shambler sure shambler there's the hasty guy. There's the Greg uh, Mangler. Greg Mangler, yeah. Uh, basically, if it's got scavenge on it, you want it. If it's got scavenge on it, which costs three or less, you want it more. And then you also want terrace worms. Um, Silverhead costs one of either colour, and a scavenger's for zero. Do you want that? Uh, I think Silverhead's one of these ones that I think I put in. If I need to fill a space. This is your 23rd card. Yeah, because he's, on his own he doesn't have enough of an impact and I'd much rather have 
another creature that's going to impact the board which needs to be killed because quite often they can just say well I'll just ignore your Silverhead he can just sit there yeah I, I thought like when I first saw Silverhead I was like oh look at that scavenger's really cheap I mean you can't get cheaper than zero but then I played with it and it was just like it doesn't do anything yeah it's a bit underwhelming yeah the other group of guys you want apart from the scavenge guys are what I'd call scavenge targets and by that I mean creatures which get better when they get bigger. And the uh, it's difficult to explain. They have an ability of some sort. Usually it's evasion, but other abilities work as well. So examples of good scavenge targets are like Dagger Roman, which is a 1-1 evasive flyer with... Evasive flyer? He's evasive <laughs> lifelinker, which gets much better as he gets bigger. Uh, you've got like a Grim Roustabout, which... Is, it's got regenerate. And, uh, again, that's much better once that creature gets bigger. Uh, Brush Strider's a funny one because Vigilance can be really relevant, especially if you're playing against an aggressive deck where they're trying to hit you back really hard and having a 3-1 in defense isn't that exciting. But if you can make that a 3-4 or, not 3-4, a 6-4 or even a 5-3 is a much more uh, interesting prospect with Vigilance. And another one's uh, Stonefear Crocodile, another lifelinker. Uh, works really well once he's gotten bigger. Just uh, to be bear in mind, these are the guys who are wanting to pump up, for the most part, with uh, your cheap scavenge to keep you in the game as you're going along. And then, oh, and another, other one's worth mentioning are the, uh, the Sewer Shambler, like mentioned before, it's got Scavenge itself, and the Locust, the Zan, Zanakev Locust. Yeah, they, Zanakev, yeah. yeah, like that's got evasion, it's, it's a flyer, and the Sewer Shambler sometimes has unblockable, depending on whether the opponent's playing swamps or not, and that makes them really good creatures for the deck, simply because you've got that flexibility of they are a good target for Scavenge counters, and they're also providers of scavenge counters. Uh, so those are good creatures to, to look out for, I think. The, basically, just, it's what you say, it's similar to the Selesnia deck where you had the balance of populate cards and, uh, token generation. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a balance between scavenge ability creatures and creatures which make good targets for scavenge. The, uh, and it's those creatures I was talking about there, but basically any creature with an additional ability. So if you're splashing blue, uh, chuck those flyers in there. If you're splashing, well, basically any creature with an, with, a, with an ability gets better with scavenge. Basically, the long and short of it. Uh, oh, yeah, you kind of want to prioritize guild gates when you're making your picks as well. So guild gates get picked a little higher simply because you're going to be looking to pick up the jailbreakers later on. And they're nice when they can attack as well, but it's not essential. But they are nice when they can attack as well in this deck, because you're wanting to keep the pressure on your opponent. I think my favourite move with this is uh, going... Uh, you, you play Terrace Worm, and then they attack you. No, you attack them. And they're like, well, I have to like block it with this guy and use this spell, and I've killed your Terrace Worm. And then you're able to play your Hexproof Rhino and then scavenge your Terrace Worm on your Hexproof Rhino and they've just used up the removal 
to kill the terrorist one. It's like, yeah, gotta love Golgari. <laughs> um, were you want to go over the scavenge rules quickly? Uh, yeah, so, um, so scavenge is the Golgari ability, right? Yeah. Oh my god, I've done it again, haven't I, Craig? Haven't I? No, I set it up and I thought you'd see I was setting you up, but actually, no, scavenge is a ability. Yeah, no, it's, it's not. It's not too, you know, hidden in I one another. So through your double bluff with cunning ease. Yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so uh, scavenge reads: Scavenge is an activated ability that functions only while the card with scavenge is in the graveyard, and it reads out as scavenge with a cost, and then it means cost. Exile this card from your graveyard. Put a number of plus one plus one counters equal to this card's power on target creature. Activate this ability only any time you cast a sorcery. So this means, well, a few things. One, if you want to scavenge, then the creature who you're going to, you know, get rid of has to be in the graveyard. Like, it can be on the battlefield. You can't have your two sewer shamblers and scavenge one onto the other. It doesn't work like that. So, obviously, it needs to be in the graveyard. Um, The other thing is it can only be cast when... You can cast a sorcery, so that means your main phases effectively. So pre-combat main phase, post-combat main phase, those are the only times. This is not a combat trick. If it was, it would be a lot more expensive, mm. and uh, it's already a bit pricey as it is. And yeah, also note you exile the card. You can't constantly scavenge over and over again. Don't make that mistake. And yeah, if you go to power, make sure. Uh, yeah, that, that, yeah. It, I mean, to be honest, it's it's read it. It tells you. <laughs> the, the, actually, I believe the reminder text is exactly the same as the rules text, so oh, there's absolutely no ambiguity there. It's beautiful. But yeah, it's, it's not a combat trick and Excel. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's all there is to it. Sca- sca- <laughs> sca- scavenge is pretty straightforward. Alright, so when you're looking at uh, your matchups, when you're playing against other guilds, um, I suppose there's different things to consider each guild. So starting with Selesnia, the uh, against Selesnia you're playing against a lot of three threes. I mean, we've, co- I mean, we've covered all the other guilds now. If we should all be pretty up to speed on what to expect from them. Yep. The, uh, the, I mean, your main threat is a lot of three threes, but you've also got flyers. So your four toughness guys are pretty relevant. So it likes the Trestle Troll and Tower Indrik, uh the Ogre again. Yeah, are all pretty key here against this, uh, just for holding the ground, because although, I mean, Slesnia can be surprisingly aggressive, so you need to be able to hold the, that ground early in the game with your, with, with your trolls and other guys. The, uh, it's the same thing we think we've said for every guild playing against Slesnia, you need to time your removal right, uh, to get rid, to stop them being able to populate effectively. Uh, so you've got to use your removal on their tokens. But, you know, it's, it's, I think it's the same for anyone playing against Selesnia, you know? Yeah. So, Selesnia, as we say, pretty aggressive. Um, you do need to avoid getting overrun by sheer numbers. So, luckily, you're in a good place to make trades pretty early on, because um, a lot of your cheap guys, your Dredge Beetle, your Drag Mangler, um, even your Sluiceway Scorpion... You can get rid of them pretty early on because they are your scavenge creatures. I mean, you need them in the graveyard at some stage to put on two one of your bigger guys, so you're quite happy to make trades. 
and uh, that also keeps you from taking too much damage in their game, keeps them from building up their forces too much, and, you know, maybe for some reason they attack them with tokens, which you think they're, you're not going to trade with, and then you trade, and then they're very sad, so that's... Yeah. yeah. So you're quite happy to make trades early on. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. The, um... Another thing that I note is, like, the... Uh, the white removal that you're going to be facing, because I don't think there is a lot of green removal outside the combat tricks. The uh, the white removal you're facing is going to be looking at things like arrest, and uh, you've got opportunities here to use goblin ooze and uh, your guild mages sack outlets to basically make use of the creatures which have been uh, enchanted. I mean, I suppose the same is true when you're playing against other other guilds as well, but it's just you know, it arrests the premier removal spell of the, any white-based deck. Yeah. And uh, you've got the creatures there. I mean, I, I don't think Gobble News gets picked up nearly high enough uh, as just a way of making use of guys that are going to die anyway. Or, and uh, it lets you release that scavenge goodness into your graveyard, you know? Uh, the final thing to remember about Slesnia, um, they do have flyers, they're generally small, and thankfully, if you've got Trestle Trolls or Towering Indrix, you can either hold them up or kill them, because, you know, 1-1 one, one Eyes in the Skies really isn't that scary. Um, so yeah, it's, it's good to have some reach creatures around. Yeah. yeah. Especially, especially for, like, because uh, you'll have griffins and things as well. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. I've yeah. Somehow forgot about that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's Lesnia. So we can now move on to the next guild round, the Color Pie, which would be Azorius. Woohoo, Azorius. Okay, so we're talking about reach creatures again here being useful, because, you know, obviously Azorius is the flying colours. Oh, mm-hmm. oh. The, uh, <laughs> I just thought of that, Craig. That's pretty good, I thought. Anyway. Oh. Uh, <laughs> one of your uh, premier cards here is going to be Golgari uh, Charm, because it hits a lot of the, um, his guys, and it also hits a lot of his, his removal. His removal here, that he's go, you're looking at, is basically Arrest, Paralyzing Grasp, and Tristani's Judgment. Now, you don't do a lot against Tristani's Judgment, but it certainly does a lot against Arrest and Paralyzing Grasp. And while it's not getting rid of his enchantments, it's getting rid of his one-toughness guys, so it's pretty good. Uh, one of your main problems when you're facing Azorus is that he has the ability to bounce your guys back to your hand mm-hmm. by uh, Void Wielders and... Dramatic Rescue. Dramatic Rescue. And does Azorus Charm puts it back on top of your library? Yeah. It's a real pain for you because you've made all that effort to make a huge guy. And this is why I stand by the Hexproof Rhino, because none of that stuff touches him. You know? The, I don't think there's, there's not an overload bounce spell outside the Mythic. Um, so, or is it just a rare cyclonic rift? Is that a rare? Cyclonic rift is just a rare. Mm. No, um, should be. Yeah, Bluster Shovel <laughs> just taps, so that's fine. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. So, I mean, this is my, my main reason for getting behind the Rhino here because there's a lot of spells, and it's not just bounce spells. You're investing a lot of time and effort to make a big, massive creature. You want to be able to get the most out of it. Uh, so, that's why I pick up the, the rhinos fa- uh, pretty early on. Um, another thing with the uh, Azores is that the Detain can get the better of you quite early on. 
and this is why I like to play a lot of creatures in my deck. Because they're using spells, sometimes it's not. A lot of times detain's attached to creatures, but quite often they're using uh, spells which detain your guys. It might even be martial law, or it might be uh, action injunctions. If they're playing these spells to, to detain your guys, and in response, you're playing creatures from your hand, and not holding on to combat tricks and things for later, but every time they play a spell and you play a spell, you just go one for one, you're going to have more creatures than they have detain effects to affect them. So, against Azorus, it's the Golgari deck that will be uh, overrunning them, even if it's in a defensive nature. So, he, he's wanting to get his flyer through to do damage, and you've got two or three options for blocking that flyer. The, the only card that I can think that detains more than one creature is uh, Azorus Justicia. Is that right? Um, I think the Triumph, the Archon of the Triumph. Oh, Triumph, yeah. But, but I mean, again, like, he's a rare. Yeah, yeah. So basically, that, that's my thinking behind playing sort of high density of creatures in the deck. Just sticking to creatures, removal, ramp, and that's all you want. Because it gets around, it does a little bit to ease the tempo advantage that the Zorus player gains. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think we can move on to Rakdos. Right, so Rakdos, um, unsurprisingly, has a pretty aggressive start, and uh, this is why you've got the good amount of two or three drops in your deck. So you can deal with this early uh, gameplay, which Rakdos will be doing, throwing tons of his guys at you. And again, a bit like Selesnya, you're able to trade and uh, block with this guy, because uh, you're quite happy for you guys to go into your graveyard, because again, you want scavenge when you get to it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're reasonably well placed to deal with a quick assault of Rakdos. I mean, the 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 problem against Rakdos is you can sometimes end up being quite far behind before you've stabilised. So I mean, I, I always consider. I don't always do it because, like I say, I, I prefer to sit creatures, ramp, and removal for this deck. But I quite often will bring in a tablet of the guilds for a bit of life gain against these really aggressive decks. And the same is true of like aggressive visit or aggressive um, Azorus. The uh, bringing in some life gain can really help after you've stabilised to to make it so it's not quite so close. You know, you don't want to be sitting anywhere near five lives against Rakdos because they can blow you out with one spell. You know, uh, I suppose another thing to watch out. I've been banging on about the Rhino quite a lot. The Rakdos player has the Slum Reaper open to him, which allows you to, or allows him to force you to sacrifice a creature. So, it's definitely worth having an extra creature or two kicking about, so he can't, for example, uh, burn spell one creature, play Slum Reaper, force you to sacrifice your guy that you've worked so hard to build. Um, so basically, just be aware of Slum Reaper, and yeah, I suppose the same is true of any Overload spells you might be running, but the Overload spells, I think, are probably less likely to be able to touch, like, I don't know, a massive monstrosity that you've built with scavenge counters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I merely love the fact you mentioned Tablet of the Guilds as a playable card, because I really like that card, even though I know it's not that good. And <laughs> I'm just glad it makes it into one of the decks we've talked about. Yeah, I mean, I think out of all the colour combinations, Rakdos is the one that's actually trying to stall the game at the beginning. Not Rakdos, sorry. Golgari. Golgari. 
Yeah. Is it the deck that's trying to stall the deck, the game? Even the control decks we've talked about, like the Azorius control, uh, or is it control? Are quite proactive and quite aggressive. So like, is it control? You're, you're, you have an aggressive start and then can sort of protect your board state with controlling spells. And same's true of Azorius with, uh, your flyers, you're getting flyers into play and you're protecting your flyers with your counter spells and your removal. Where Golgari, it's more about stalling the game and getting the game to a point where you can start dominating with sheer brute force. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, thought, I, mean, I think it's actually a really hard deck to, a really hard um, guild to draft because you fall into the trap of wanting to attack early on and that's not what the plan is. The plan is stall stall a bit more, try not to die, and this is why you need this concentration of stuff at the start of the game, yeah. and a concentration at the end, not so much four and five drops, you know? Keep yourself in this until you can throw down the inevitability. Yeah. Yep. Right, um, we do have another kill to go, which is Ooh. the is it? Uh, yep. So again, is it are going to be using flyers, um, Obviously, primarily the blue side as opposed to the old white side this time. Mm-hmm. So once again, your trestle trolls and your towering and dricks become all that important. Is there any particular yeah. blue flyer which we are concerned about? Um, the anything with four power, <laughs> which I think is only in rare. Yeah, I'm not sure if we are that concerned because trestle troll has regenerate. The the only problem is we're Keeping up regenerate is a problem, but it shouldn't be a problem because you've got uh, plenty of mana, right? You've been mana ramping, haven't you? I hope so. Yeah. So, as long as you can regenerate Trestle Troll, you should be able to hold them off. Uh, as for killing them, you maybe want to keep your removal for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. as a point though, uh, you have got access to Aerial Predation, which is, in my opinion, a stellar removal card and quite often gets main decked. Because I think it's only against Rakdos it's particularly rubbish. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, it's definitely moved up in what I th- how good I thought yeah. it was going to be. I mean, I, I don't go over the, over the board, like, but I definitely count it as like one of like as a one of in the main deck. And if it's Earth except Rakdos, they usually bring in a second uh, aerial predation just because yeah. I like it. And again, it gets you on the life gain tree. Indeed. Yep. Uh, you're. Golgari Charm's pretty good here as well. Again, you're looking at one toughness, guys. You can be killed. Try, try to think who... Yeah, um, yeah, like the fairy imposter, the soul-sworn spirit. Yeah, soul-sworn guy. And if they're using um, Goblin Rally... Yep. Actually, also, the ta- if they're playing the Tower Drake, then unless they've got access to white, then it's also dying to them. Yeah, it's also dead too. Yep. Uh, and again, the removal... Uh, is enchantment based as well a lot of the time. In fact, no, I'm I'm confused. They may have some, but they also (laughs) have the burn spells. I mean... Yeah. um, You do have one sort of trick against Izzet, against one of their sort of key abilities. So obviously, Izzet, have counter spells. You have guys you want to play. You, if, if you've got a feeling they've got counter spell, because, you know, the, the three mana is untapped and they've got the cancel there, Feel free to play your guys with scavenge on them, because yeah. we're not thinking they'll they'll go. 
I cancel that, and you go, oh, it goes into the graveyard, my scavenge guy, which I later use to make my big guy to beat your face. Yeah. 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 So uh, feel free to play your scavenge guys into counter magic, not the targets for your things. Like the last thing you want to do is if you think the cancel's there, and you're holding a couple, you're holding like Sluiceway Scorpion and the Rhino, and you play, oh, I want the Rhino out because he's got hexproof. No, you want to play yeah. the Scorpion. You fool. Get rid of the Scorpion, get rid of his counter spell, get the Rhino down the next turn, and it's got something which can scavenge up to it. One thing to to be aware of is uh, Essence Backlash, because a lot of your guys are huge, even when they come down. Like, your Terra Swarm and your Golgari Longlegs, and, you know, there's some others, which are four or five power. And if you suspect they've got an Essence Backlash, you do not want to be playing those into it. Because, I mean, Essence Backlash is a four-mana spell. It's quite hard for him to keep that up for a long time unless he's already ahead and he's dominating the board so unless you really have to don't play big big power creatures into essence backlash because it hurts Yeah, (laughs) you know and just to make you aware you know it it does hurt and it feels really good if you're playing is it by the way and you've got some pathetic little creature with a saber on it and you're beating face with it and your opponent's not quite caught up and you're just totally about to hold up Essence Backlash, and they're like, well, I really want to stabilise, I shall stabilise with this guy, and you're like, no, in fact, take five damage for the trouble as well, and I'll keep hitting you with me, guy. So you don't want to be in the receiving end of that as a Golgari player. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to be the Izzard guy now. <laughs> I know, I know. But then I already have the Izzard guy. Um, I think we're done with Izzard, and thus done with the topic. Yeah, I think so. Cool, right. Before we wrap this up, I do want to mention, last week we mentioned a sort of competition. I spoke about how the, I was creating a custom magic set, but I didn't have any real cool mechanics for it. Now, I've only had one lot of feedback, and somewhat annoyingly it was anonymous to the Tumblr, and I can't really credit anyone for it. <laughs> so, I think I've one entry, and I can't really go, hey, person, came up with this ability, and it was cool, I'm going to leave it open for another week. So, um, if you don't know what I was talking about, go back and listen to the previous episode, because I won't really recover it again, but I'm basically looking for a brand new mechanic, which does something interesting, and is relatively clear, like, because it's a new mechanic, I want it to be pretty easy to understand, but it still can do something cool. Get it in, and if you do get it in, then I'll be mentioning it in weeks, years, months to come, and you'll get all the credit. And um, As long as you leave your name. As long as you leave your name. Otherwise, it will just be anonymous, and yeah, anonymous is cool. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So um, you've got until next Wednesday... So that's specifically the 5th of December 2012, because that's when we'll be recording episode 7, hopefully. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I do want to kind of announce somebody as the winner next week. So, yeah, you got till next Wednesday, 5th of December 2012. Yay. Right. I think now we can wrap this up. I think so. Cool. So, uh, thank you to our listeners for listening. I know you're out there, and we appreciate your ears for about an hour or two each week. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, then the different ways to get in touch with us are primarily our Tumblr, delvingtodraft.tumblr.com. I learned today that if I do respond to any questions on it, whilst it gets reposted to my Twitter feed, it does not get reposted to Facebook. So you are missing out if you're not following us on Tumblr. 
As I just mentioned, we are on Facebook. You can search Delving Into Draft. We're there somewhere. Uh, our email is delvingintodraft at gmail.com. And finally, I'm on Twitter as at Ravak underscore. That's R-A-V-A-K underscore. Your hosts for this week were me, Craig, and you, Steve. That's me. The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is The Cannery, and it is a free music license under the Creative Commons by Tributation 3.0. As an interesting aside, Craig, if you type Delvin into draft into Google, we are the whole first page of the search results. Oh, no way. <laughs> uh, is this where we're about to... Oh, here, let's see. Delvin into draft. Delvin into draft. Facebook. Download the sickness. MTG cast. Don't open boosters. Delvin into draft. <laughs> Twitch.tv. Oh, man. That's cool, eh? We rock. Yeah. <laughs> Although there are also 1.4 million results. Yeah, but we're the first ones, Craig. We're, the we're first... all the first ones. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Hold that. Just don't go into page two. Then you get into Dynasty Football. Yeah. Terry Gillum. Yeah, see those guys? See that Dynasty Football thing? See when, before we started the podcast? When were they at the top? Yeah, they were They were top. They were the top when you were devil in the draft before. Ah, man. We we're, we're, we're better than American football. We've put the whole page back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is awesome. They're gutted. <laughs>